<laughs> the meat and tooth edge of the analysing. <laughs> I was sat in the cabinet room and I was like hosting me on me. The big man, the fridge is open. He's flown like a gazelle. What can Chris Gale do? He goes long. Oh, you're right. You've got a man beside you. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. Hello there and welcome to the Rongan Daily. I'm Bertie, a man who's actually only watched about five minutes of today's play due to work. Uh, so I'm chairing this ship rather than actually answering any analysis. And joining me today is Satch down in London, who is here to do the actual uh, meat and two veg. I don't think that's, that's not the phrase, is it? The, the meat and two veg of the analysing. Uh, so expect it to be a pretty one way blast like Satch is on a 20 minute cricketing mastermind. Uh, Satch, you you uh, enjoying getting back into the 4am starts? 4am starts are hard work, mate. I'm a, I'm a man with a bad body clock as it is, but I've currently got about 10 going on at the moment. I did prefer those 9am starts with the day-night test, but we all know what happened there. So 4am it is. Man's got to do what a man's got to do. Got to do it for the fans, Bertie, haven't we? He got to do it for the fans. And speaking of fans, uh, we had a big uptick in our listeners last week. If we get a relative... Uh, uh, cricket influencer onto the show uh, then it actually does tend to boost our listeners so Ben Jones came onto the show earlier in the week and uh, and we uh, we got a, a big influx of new listeners so uh, so welcome to the uh, welcome to the show welcome to the cult welcome to uh, the cricketing family and let's be honest today Satch there's uh, it's it's quite nice that we finally don't have to talk about a pitch I'm slightly worried about what we're actually going to talk about with this some actual analysis. Is it good to be back to talking about actual cricket or are we just going to struggle for content? I know. What, what are we going to talk about? That's all we've talked about for the past two test matches. But no, it is it is good to be back talking about actual cricket. But okay, then let's talk about the cricket. It was bloody boring. Not happened. Apart from England being shit. But it, it, it's all just too conventional, the test match cricket of that we all love and expect. Now, I went back to Tina Turner's, the nuclear explosive surfaces, the heart attack cricket. He wants to see England miss straight balls when we can watch them miss straight balls without it being their fault. Yeah, it's, it's uh, definitely... It's, 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 it's not, it doesn't quite get the uh, debating fluids rushing around quite as much when England are just getting out 100% guaranteed when they potentially could have been doing better. Uh, this should hopefully mellow you out because there shouldn't be as many England fans online uh, making various uh, claims about the BCCI and and you fellow Indians <laughs> uh, but let's uh, let's head straight into the test England headed into the fourth and final test opting for a three bowler strategy bold yes unorthodox yes unwise not so sure what do we think uh, I don't really know unorthodox and unconventional it certainly is especially after England have been in the past loving a six bowler strategy, but I don't know. Do you not reckon it's a bit defensive, Bert? Do you not think they've 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 kind of gone after the last two test matches where the batons let them down? They've gone a bit defensive by trying to lengthen this batting lineup up to up to probably Don Besh at nine. Yeah, they've slightly potentially overcompensated the other way, but with the way we've seen it in the past two tests, or particularly the last test is the one to focus on, that it's the same ground, obviously not pink ball this test, uh, but England were really poor with the bat, 
112 and about 81. That's that's very, very poor. For some context, England didn't bat particularly well today and didn't get that many runs, but it's more runs than they got over the course of both <laughs> innings in the last test. So, yeah, last test, pink ball, four seamers, one spinner, and then suddenly Root ends up being a second frontline spinner. But Root does get on well there. The seamers didn't bowl at all. Into this test, I don't think they were quite expecting that the wicket would behave in exactly the same manner as the last test because we're back to the red ball. You would imagine it would be slightly more predictable. But Spin also has had big inroads in this series. So Axe, not one seamer, but two seamers. They've brought Bess in, who's the spin option. And Root is clearly hoping that he will be able to turn his arm over in a few overs and hopefully make some sort of impact. That three bowler strategy, as you've said, a lot of it looks more to be focusing on lengthening the uh, the batting lineup. When when Don Bess is coming in at nine, when you've got Folks coming in at eight, Dan Lawrence coming in at seven, that on paper that should give a lot more batting depth. England still got rolled for two hundred, but I mean it's very crude analysis, but it's it's still better than last time. Let's be honest. Uh, but if uh, if Root expects that he'll be able to do a few overs if Bess has come in, there's various reasons as to why it makes sense that they've made that decision. I mean, you could argue that it is a five-bowler strategy technically because Root and Stokes are what we might consider genuine all-rounders given their batting averages are higher than their bowling averages if that if that's the metric we go by. But I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at this from an Indian perspective. I just find it a little bit amusing. I, I, I can't really talk about it from an England fan perspective, but I do worry slightly that it's a, a big responsibility on Ruth or Stoke Ruth and Stokes. I mean, does Joe Root look at himself as the second spinner here? If he does, how does that impact on Bess? Apparently Stokes isn't 100 percent He's got a stomach bug. Um you could say that's a bit more 4D chess from the BCCI giving him a stomach bug. Who knows? Um, I mean I've heard of a lot of people go to India and end up with a stomach bug. So either <laughs> that, that's that's potentially very very just naturally likely but also potentially a good uh, a good covert means of playing 4d chess because it's it's lying in plain sight yeah i know i, I think everybody i mean I, even i've been there and i'm i've got the i've got technically got the genes to handle it so you can uh, you can't really blame the bcci for that one but i i don't know I'm, I'm interested to see how it pans out i think england have been a bit lucky there in winning the toss and it, it could have, it, had they lost the toss in India, batted first, that could have gone very badly having that three bowler strategy. But yeah, I, I think it's a bit defensive. They've, they've tried to go for batting depth. I think they might lack a little bit on the bowling front. It does seem like Seam has a bit of a part to play. I mean, Siraj did quite well. We'll come on to that later. So Ben Stokes being your second Seamer and he's not 100% could be risky. Let's see how it goes. I mean, like I said, from my point of view, it's just a bit funny, but I'm, hope, I'm hoping it doesn't come back to bite me in the bum. Yeah, we're removing uh, Broad and Archer. Those are two out-and-out frontline bowlers, and Stokes, this series, hasn't hasn't really done very much at all with the ball. So, so it'll be interesting once Anderson gets out of his uh, initial spell, which started very well today. Whether... Just, just a quick stat there, Bert. I don't think Stokes has bowled 10 overs in an innings or something since July. So, something like There's something like that. So he's, he's definitely not had the bowling workload for quite a while, and that'll be interesting to see how he gets on with that. Absolutely. The game today, England won the toss and bat, as you said, and they actually managed to pass 200, so a phenomenal success for them in the current scheme of things. <laughs> Openers both going cheaply, 
Bearstone Stokes wrestling something back, Stokes passing 50. Dan Lawrence adding a useful 46, but in the end it didn't all adding up to much and, and that and that longer England batting lineup didn't end up really firing. I mean, folks with one, best with three. Uh, I mean, Jet Leach might be an out-and-out batsman at times at 10 even. Uh, but uh, it wasn't a particularly strong batting performance and the wicket wasn't doing anywhere near as much as it had been in the previous two tests. Do they just look a little bit shell-shocked at the moment to you? I think they are. A bit like last match, I think they're, they're seeing ghosts, chasing ghosts and shadows and whatnot. It, there wasn't anything in the pitch, really. I mean, look, I was watching that pitch from, from the start and I can't. I couldn't see any demons in it. My untrained eye from 8,000 miles away couldn't see any demons in it. And as we know, um, there's, there's I, an awful lot of gods and demons in India in <laughs> so you'd imagine that statistically there might be a lot of demons floating about. They weren't found in the end of bad pitch, so there is that. No, I, I, I think England. I think everybody will agree England have underperformed with the bat there. I think if you asked what was a par score on that pitch, it'd probably begin with a three, not a two. Um, so yeah, I would say England's definitely below par. Four players got starts: Bairstow, Stokes, Lawrence, and Pope. Lawrence looked quite good, to be honest. I think he looked quite proactive against spin, picked the gaps quite nicely, uh, scored fairly briskly. Stokes was was very good. I think he got a bit riled up by Siraj um, and Coley, had a few verbals with him, but he looked really good. But, you know, it, it was crying out for one of those four to convert the starts, and they didn't, and that's why they've ended up with 205 all out and, you know, well well within the first day. And... Yeah, again, it was a similar story to the third test, even though there was no pink ball. A lot of straight ones, but Ben Stokes got out to another straight one. Um, you know, it comes back to that idea that are England just a bit, a bit, a bit scrambled mentally with what's going on. I think at the end of the series, we'll probably do a, a whole root and branch review of uh, of how England are batted because that's that's the main talking point uh, for England over the course of the series. And and whether there's the sort of been technical areas that they've generally been failing on, the Crawley and Lawrence approach today was more dancing down the pitch and attempting to sort of play some bigger shots. I, I think in a way it's slightly difficult to be to be critical of that in some ways, given how a lot of the wickets have fallen in the previous test. The last thing that you would have wanted to see after the after the after the shambles, which was the third test, was England getting out exactly the same way. We'd seen that Crawley and Rohit had both had success in actually trying to just go and get a few runs on the board and getting out to the pitch of the ball. And I, I think it's slightly difficult for people to be able to criticize for Crawley and Lawrence for getting out in that fashion, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, we, we were speaking on the group chat this morning. I spoke to Matt and Ollie about it, and they both were, were not really criticising either of the two players, Crawley or Lawrence. I was a little bit more harsh, but again, I'm not really looking at it from an England fan perspective. I think the one, the one with Crawley is, I think it was four consecutive balls he came down the pitch to Axar. It was and it was very, very much premeditated. And my argument was that at this level by the fourth time dancing down the pitch before the bowlers even released the ball you're going to get found out especially by the quality of spinners we've got and that's basically what happened to Crawley didn't get close enough to the ball and skewed a skewed a big shot over the uh, skewed the big shot up into the air and got caught now you know Matt Cracknell's argument back to me was you know Pujara premeditates a lot and come, when he comes down the pitch and is very successful and I, I would potentially argue that he's 
he's a bit more judicious in in what he does, and he, you know he, he does also go back. Whereas from what I saw, Crawley and Lawrence seemed to only have that strategy of coming down the pitch, and it was they, they like I said they premeditated it from the start, and they didn't have a plan B. So what you know from a technical point of view, one thing that Crawley didn't do was he, when he was skipping down the pitch, he didn't skip down in line with the delivery, and what that meant was didn't really have a plan B if if the ball wasn't really in his slot or his arc. And, you know, whereas someone like Pujara can kick the ball away if it's outside his off stump or he'll get to the pitch of the ball. If, even if he gets too close, he'll roll his wrists on the ball and knock it into the leg side. Both Crawley and Lawrence uh, there were both hitting, trying to hit over the top and, you know, got done by it. So I, I, I think there's, from my point of view, I would say there's a little bit of improvement that could be done. But again, I don't want to be too harsh, especially as, as, as our England fans, Ollie and Matt have said, they, they don't want to criticise too much for it. I think over the course of a four-test series, you do get a good assessment of of just what the different players are good at and what they are sort of seem to be sort of coming up technically short. When you look at the the general batting lineup, I find I've been finding that very interesting in terms of what India have been finding out about the England players and what we can see the England players are potentially good at and potentially not that good at. Ollie Pope's had quite a difficult series. Uh, Lad's not passed uh, 35 yet this series. Ashwin, again, really tying him up in knots. He's obviously a very, very talented player, let's be honest, but this series, his footwork seems to have uh, come into a lot of question, in the subcontinent in particular. Yeah, I mean, again, he's, he's one that's probably done better this test. He's, he has looked a bit more assured this test, but... Again, from my harsh, if I'm casting my harsh eye over him, his footwork is just not decisive enough. Again, I, I, I draw a parallel with Pujara, who's who I would consider one of the best players of spin in the India team. And, you know, his footwork is just so much more decisive than Pope. Pope, he, he doesn't glide down the track in the same way that Pujara does. He, he almost jumps down the track. And Ian Chappell actually wrote a really good article on Crick Info about this, that he jumps, but he's also got the stumping in the back of his mind and his, his back foot sort of lags almost because he's trying to avoid doing the stumping. So he's caught in two minds and he's not, you don't have that sort of cl- clarity of thought and decisiveness. And, you know, one the comment last match, all right, it was it was a bit more of a minefield, but one of the commentators described him as looking like a, a cat on a hot tin roof. And, you know, I thought it was a very, very excellent analogy. And again, with... I, I I think he did, like I said, improve this match, but he still doesn't look quite up to standard um, against that quality of spin and on these surfaces. But he is a young player. He's got plenty of time to work on this. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure England fans are hoping that this isn't going to be too damaging for him going forward. Yeah, you see a young player come in. He's got a hell of a lot of talent and England fans aren't going to be sort of Worrying that he's he's not going to be a, a pretty good player after after this series, he's come in. He's got a lot of talent, and suddenly he's introduced to very different conditions to usual. And it's potentially only once every four years that you would be exposed to Indian conditions when you're touring in India. So, so yeah, he's obviously a young player. He's not got everything in his locker right now, but it has been interesting watching him slightly in a way just get get found out in different conditions to usual uh, the players that have been finding them out though uh, some players really really exploding onto the scene I think is the best phrase to describe it Akshar Patel 
he might be finally getting found out though because his bowling average has now ticked over 10 so clearly <laughs> test cricket finding him out yeah he's he's had a fantastic start to his career we've, we've, we've talked about him at length he seems to be living rent free in the England batsman's heads again it's that that idea of in England is England are seeing ghosts. The, the straight ones are doing for them again. But another four for today. He, he seems he seems to be unplayable. He's, he's, he's been he's been fantastic for India as a replacement for Jadeja so far. Um, I'm very interested to see how he gets on 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 less helpful pitches going forward. But you can only you can only do what is put in front of you. you know to draw an analogy, it's a bit like Man City drawing a League Two team in the cup and. I'm beating them comfortably. You can only beat what's in front of you, and that's what Axel Patel's doing right now. So fair play to him. I remember at the start of the series, you, as an India fan, were suddenly very, very worried that Ravi Jadeja wasn't in the team, and the way that you were talking about it made it out that that was potentially the thing that could change the series more in England's favour. Axel Patel has come in and performed exactly the Jadeja role with a kind of similar style of spin but blown it out of the water beyond anyone's expectations really yeah I mean look Jadeja is one of the he's, he's, he's an MVP isn't he but at least in Indian conditions with with all three aspects of the game as a, as a very good bowler averages circa 20 in India he's, his batting's improved out of sight of late and we all know he's a gun fielder so that was a huge loss and then it was almost a double whammy for India in that first test and that actually Patel who was his natural replacement was also injured um, so you know obviously that left India playing probably their first fifth and seventh choice spinners but he's since come in and alright he's not done anything with the bat but batting's been difficult as we know from from a bowling point of view he's, he's done as well as we could have hoped I I, I think I do still think Jadej is the better bowler he probably offers slightly more control but there is also a slight variation in Axel being slightly taller and a higher release point, as Ben mentioned on our last episode. So he's he's, he's a good six years younger than Jadeja. And going forward for Indian cricket, if we've if you've always got a, a a replacement there ready to go once Jadeja retires, then I'm certainly not complaining about that. And obviously in this series as well, the the, the conditions just perfectly suiting his style of play. Another one who's been straight off the Indian production line, uh, Mohamed Siraj. He looked very good today. He used to be a little bit of a sort of meme bowler, didn't he? He got a reputation for getting pumped in the IPL, but he's taken to test cricket like a proverbial goose to water. <laughs> or he a goose to migration. Anymore. Goose to migration, yeah. even. Look, he's... Uh... He, he got thrown in at the deep end in Australia. There's no doubt about that. He brought he brought him without you know really being. He wasn't expecting to get that stint in Australia and performed very admirably with the Kookaburra ball. He's now in India with the SG ball, and again he's getting good movement. He's got he's got some wheels on him. You know he touches that 90 mile an hour mark pretty well. I think the ball that got burst though, LBW was about 90 miles an hour. So I think he's gonna. I think he's going to enjoy using the Duke's ball in England. I think he's certainly on the plane. He's on the plane to England without a doubt. I, I think he'll get good purchase over there and at that pace, getting that movement and you know really getting the ball to carry through on, on, on those Wimbledon day one pitches that I described. And I think he'll have some fun there. I mean, to, today, like, I was watching him in the first session and there was one over where he set roots up really nicely. He bowled three or four outswingers and then 
got one coming back in and it didn't get root, but then he repeated it next over and, you know, duly uh, nailed root in front of the stumps, LBW, and got him out, which is you know, really good to see. He's got he's not just a run in and bowl dead fast kind of bowl. He's got a bit of he's got a bit of intellect to him as well. So that was good. Some aggression there as well. He had some, like we mentioned before, had some variables with Stokes. Better targets than Stokes, though, to be uh, to be picking fights with. Yeah, I would certainly say so. I, like I said, I love to see the aggression from the from the young lad. Um, but Stokes is one of those a bit like a bit like our boy Virat that he probably thrives off the off the chat. And look, I mean, they, they've come out afterwards saying Stokes said a gali to 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 Siraj. What it means, basically, he swore at Siraj. Virat came and stepped in on his behalf. Stokes then come out and said, "Look, confrontation on the field that happens. We're all competitors, not into it." Um, but yeah, it's 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 good to see that he's got the fire in him, Siraj, especially on you know Indian pitches where you might not necessarily say it's it's conducive to fast bowling. Coley does seem to get involved in pretty much everything, doesn't he? Whenever I know he's the classic fans saying, "Oh, if someone else said that rather than Coley, then uh, then people would be kicking off." But he does get involved in a lot of like nitty picky little things that you wouldn't imagine a captain to get involved with even if it's about like the comments on the the pitch the other day which I know we've moved on from the p word but like they seem sort of unnecessarily out of place is this just sort of part of his general character and and in a way probably what partly makes him a, a good captain a great player yeah I think so I mean we might come on to his, some of his pre-match comments later on but I've got no problem with Coley getting involved. The only problem I had with him getting involved today again is because the target was Ben Stokes, and I think Ben Stokes is the type of cricketer you leave alone, don't don't provoke him because we see what happens when Ben Stokes gets angry. He, but other than that, I've, again, I've got no problem with, with Coley, the captain, sticking up for his young bowler. You know, from my point of view, I've spent the past twenty four years watching England players and South Africa players and Australia players getting involved in verbals and confrontations on the pitch. Um, so I've got no problem with with Coley doing it. He, it's it, it's 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 no different in my opinion. And you know, I've I'm quite happy that he's standing up, standing up for himself, standing up for his team. Um, but he does he does get involved in quite a lot. Should he maybe temper his attitude a little bit? That is up for debate. I think that there have been issues, there have definitely been parts of this series maybe with the umpires where he could have could have been a bit more judicious in picking his battles, but. Yeah, generally, I'm, I'm, I think it's. I'd just like to add one thing. One thing that we can, one thing that Arthur said, Michael Atherton said on the Sky Sports Cricket Podcast is when you see episodes like that on the pitch, it's very easy to do trial by television, and you know we could read a lot into that situation. Say you know things are happening that they shouldn't be. Ultimately, the umpire was involved in it all. He saw it all. If there's anything untoward, he can report it, and all the players have come out afterwards saying it was it was a non-issue. So, I don't think we need to read too much into that little episode. I mean, I don't really care, to be honest. I was more just asking about the fact that it, it does form part of uh, Coley's just general personality, that he's sort of a uh, bit of a chest-pumped, kind of uh, kind of uh, a little bit of a sort of alpha male attitude, and that's potentially what partially what makes him a, a great cricketer and informs what drives Absolutely. him in the spot. Uh, at the end of the day, England were bowled for uh, 205. Uh, India then came in with uh, with about 12 overs to play with. And Jimmy Anderson bowled very, very well. Five overs, five maidens, no runs, 
one wicket and getting the wicket of uh, Shubman Gill again. Uh, the the old man has uh, has, has a ball with uh, old Shuby's name on it, doesn't he? He has indeed. I feel sorry for old geriatric Jimmy over there. He's 38, 39 years old, single-handedly trying to carry his team in unfriendly conditions. He, he bowled fantastically well again. What can you say? Jim, Jim, Jimmy's a phenomenal player. I don't like to admit it. I, as as regular listeners of this show will know, I've never before said good words about an England cricketer, but I'm going to say them now. Jimmy is a phenomenal cricketer. Uh, and I think his average in Asia just ticked below 30 once again. But... Shuby, our boy Shuby, Shubman Gill. We've uh, we've we've christened him Shuby over here at Rongan HQ. He's out cheaply again, again to pace this series. It's not really a hot take anymore, but me and you know a few other Indian fans have been saying this since the Australia tour. He's going to struggle in Old Blighty when he comes over over to these shores. I think his technique, you know, in Australia we saw he stayed very leg side of the ball, and that made him very much a a nick off candidate behind the stumps from from chasing the ball. He seems to have. Tried to compensate for that somewhat with a little back foot shuffle across, you know, getting more in line with the ball. But now that has left him susceptible to the to straight ones or induckers. So that is a real concern. Definitely looking forward to the to the series this summer. I think Jimmy seems to seems to have his number. I'm hoping that he, he addresses that technical flaw. And I'm hoping that someone like Coley, who's been through the been a, you know, a star batsman, a young star batsman, come over to England and, and had a horror series and learn from the experience. I'm hoping he can be able to help our boy Shubman Gill prepare for the England series. So it's a bit of pressure on bit of pressure on the young lad and it will be interesting to see how he comes through that. It's really interesting, isn't it? You saying, oh, how will he get on in England? N- normally, you wouldn't sort of imagine that to be a concern. I keep forgetting that we've now got a massive... Indian summer ahead of us with five test matches in that nine test matches between India and England over the course of about seven months it's absolutely mad it's it's such an unusual situation for us to be in and also for players who will be playing each other again but in very different conditions and if they have been found out in a certain way like potentially Shubman Gill in India Indian conditions then suddenly they're like right I've only got three months to sort that out I think one of the reasons why we've put such an emphasis on Shubman Gill as well is because we've, we've all sat there and watched him first on the Australian think it was flashy cover drives, those you know, those lovely back foot punches with a slightly unorthodox technique. We've all looked at him and thought, this lad's gonna be a 130, 140 test player, or he should be at least. So it's kind of like, you know, this is why he's getting so much scrutiny on his technique. And any failure for Shubman Gill in his in his young career is probably gonna be going to be scrutinised and exacerbated more than it should be. Look, remember the lads in his, he's only in his seventh test. He's still very, very, still very much a fledgling career. But when you've got that sort of expectation on your shoulders, you do want to kind of iron out any of those issues. He's, he's going to be a target for opposition bowlers and he's going to have to sort it out. The man with a lot of responsibility in his shoulders tomorrow is Don Best, but potentially the, the biggest innings of his, of his bowling career, potentially. If he gets rattled tomorrow it could have big effects for the side over the course of the game. And also, you'd think it could be a, just a big moment for Best to go, right, no, I am I am a top-level bowler and I'm here to seize this opportunity. Yeah, it's been an interesting... It's been, well, interesting in, for us, probably not interesting for him. I mean, he's, he's come out and said, hasn't he, that it, it did hurt him a little bit getting dropped for that second test and then he didn't play the, didn't play the third test either. It must be difficult for him 
I, I wonder what's going through his mind. A lot's been said about what's going through, what may be going through Don Bess's mind and what he's come out and said. If he gets rattled tomorrow, though, especially with England's three specialist bowler strategy, it could be very, very bad news for England. It could be very, very bad news for Don Bess because if if things start start going against him, if if one of the batsmen takes a liking to him, he hasn't got anywhere to hide. Like I said, England have only got three specialist bowlers. He's probably going to have to pick up a lot of workload unless Joe Root decides to shelter him. And again, you know, that's not going to be good for his his his, his psychology or his his psyche going forward either. So it's 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 risky. I, I think it's risky for Don Best tomorrow. Um, it's it's very precariously placed. If it doesn't go well for him. It's going to go very, very badly, I think. So, um, from my point of view, look, I, I hope he gets pumped. Of course, I do because I'm an India fan and I want to see us put oh, up stones on the board. This is a huh? neutral show. Well, it's not. I've got I've got three England fans to fight against normally. It's BH seven. It should be normally. <laughs> it, it most definitely isn't. He's yeah. It. I, I, I never. I never really want. You never want to see a young lad struggle, but. You know, I'm in it for the Indians at the end of the day, and I, I do hope we we give them a hiding tomorrow. I just hope the, the management look after him going forward. England management look after him going forward. There is still a chance for England in this. That it's it's a small chance, but it's not completely insignificant. You look at that Indian batting order; it is long, like the England batting order. They effectively have two paces, and then remember Ashwin is Ashwin is basically an all rounder now. Washington Sunder is more of a batsman, arguably, in that India side, and then Akshar Patel finally comes in at nine, Sharma, and then uh, Mohamed Siraj. The India do bat deep, but England got a wicket yesterday. It's not completely out of the question that, that England could potentially rein them in to some extent, and as well, uh, the, the classic phrase goes, you can't judge a wicket until both sides are batted on it. So I think it's, it's teed up for an interesting day's cricket tomorrow. Absolutely. Look, it's. I think objectively, you'd say England have had a very, very disappointing batting day today. Probably the, the most disappointing day of the whole tour. But oh, I don't know about yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, maybe, 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 maybe. I think given the conditions and winning the toss and whatnot, after after, after you know they finally got some nice batting conditions and they haven't made the most of it. I think it's disappointing. But like you said, I, I, for my well, in my opinion, it's definitely not over yet. India have got a bat last on this pitch, and if this pitch degenerates quite quickly, as we know Indian pitches can do, then you can add another 50 runs onto England's first innings total in terms of, you know, to compensate. And, you know, we know in test cricket these days, no team is that far away from a batting collapse. India do bat deep. We've got fantastic batsmen. And I, I I do think we've got the quality to pile on a big a big total. But you just don't know what happens if, if, if Joe Root gets his tail up, if Don Best gets his tail up, if Leach gets his tail up tomorrow... If Jimmy Anderson can take advantage of maybe potentially help, helpful conditions for the seam bowlers, then India can get rolled out cheaply as well. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be sound on the death knell for England just yet. I'm banking on Jimmy's finest hour. He wrestles back a, a two-all draw in the series by taking all nine more Indian wickets for just <laughs> potentially, by the rate he's going at the moment, for zero runs. Uh, right, let's move on to uh, just a few extras. The no-ball alarm is the uh, is the signal for, for a few extras to uh, to the day's play. Some interesting stuff uh, regarding a graphic about the uh, the pink ball that was going around today. Some uh, some Hawkeye stuff suggesting that the pink ball only lost about twelve percent of its pace 
whereas the red ball losing about 20%. It, it's fine margins test cricket, isn't it? But you can partly see why, for example, with Akshar Patel bowling a slightly slightly quicker pace, why that could made could have made such a difference in the last test. Yeah, I mean, you, you might be listening to that thinking 12% versus 20%. It's it, what difference that would make, but it, it makes a difference of microseconds or milliseconds. And at this level, at test level, when you've got highly skilled bowlers like Akshar Patel and Ravi Chandran Ashwin giving you a surgical examination, it's a big difference. You know, that I mentioned on the last podcast, it's the difference between you hitting that ball with your bat and the ball crashing into your pad, boom, you've gone LBW. No wonder it caused carnage, that pink ball. Again, I th- from my point of view, I'm firmly in the camp that last matches, last match was extreme conditions for the batsman, not All extreme round. pitch. It was extreme conditions and a lot of that was to do with the ball. And this this Hawkeye data is certainly suggesting that, you know, our, our intuition about that pink ball skidding on and indeed what a lot of the batsmen came out and said afterwards about the pink ball skidding on was, was true. It, it, it really did uh, keep a lot more of the pace. That third test match, I know we should move on from it, but that third test match in Myers will genuinely go down as potentially one of the most analysed test matches to be played. There was so much that was unusual about it that whether it's the ICC talking about the pink ball or people looking at the condition of wickets and so on, or even just players looking at it and thinking, right, how on earth do we bat against a spinning pink ball? I think it's going to be such a heavily analysed test on so many different levels. It is, and it may, may be quite influential as well. I know there was a, there's an article in the Indian Express uh, in the last few days regarding the Indian players' feeling towards the pink ball and the BCCI are actually taking feedback very seriously. The feedback is that the players aren't too happy with the pink ball in that it's you know it, it does skid on and test match cricket and batting at test match level is a lot about muscle memory and when your muscle memory is attuned to the red ball coming off the wicket any slight inc- or slight quickening up of that makes a big difference and also they, they find it quite difficult to sight again there's been talk about the black seam on the pink ball is difficult to to you know for the batsman to sort of gauge the seam position so you know it could well be that it, the BCCI after that don't decide not to host any more pink ball test matches or day night test matches which is you know it, it's a big point in the evolution of test cricket and the game going forward yeah, if every game ends up being like that then it could be that's not, not something that you want uh, particularly if it if they make the decision that maybe they're just not suitable to be played in India even mm-hmm. if you want to check out any of our analysis from the last test uh, which uh, Crick versus Ben Jones very kindly uh, parachuted in on for an hour then uh, just check that out on our podcast feed Satch have you got anything else that you'd like to add before we head off for a few hours sleep before uh, your 4am start <laughs> yeah just uh I think we have to give a mention to that crazy 2020 game between West Indies and Sri Lanka last night. You had Sri Lanka bundled out quite cheaply for 130 odd, and then just the most bizarre or mad start to the innings. Uh, Akira Danjaya taking a trick, and the very next one for six sixes by Kyron Pollard. West Indies chased the total down in 13 overs, but within that, you had another Sri Lankan bowler, Hasaranga De Silva, who took four fig- figures of three for 12 from his four overs. So you know, it was just madness from start to finish in that West Indies innings. You had Evan Lewis and Kyron Pollard going nuts and then some, you know, clearly very good bowling in between. 
Imagine, imagine getting a hat trick and then getting bumped for six sixes in one over. It's, it's almost it's mad, isn't it? incomprehensible in terms of how hot to cold that is. I mean, Kieran Pollard, the lad looked like he was just trying to chip him over the outfield. It's the absolutely fat swing and bat that he must have because he put so little into it, but it goes so, so far. It was absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, I mean he's he's a big lad, and obviously that that gets looked on quite a bit with Kyron Pollard. He's he, you know, he's, and when I say big lad, he's well built, but he's got fantastic timing, and you can't really get away. From, you you shouldn't neglect that in in the analysis of Kyron Pollard. But yeah, that that match was it was it's cricket on speed, and I tell you what, Bertie, we at wrong and towers are horny for it. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> as well with Pollard, you'd have to have some serious West Indian cojones to walk out there facing a player who has bowled a hat-trick to hit him for 6-6 six, six in a row. I really admire that. That's the mentality of him. It's one of the reasons why he's one of the best T20 players in the world because it's that mentality. He fancied himself to hit sixes. Sixes, not six sixes. But he fancied himself to hit sixes and he did it. He executed to perfection. I, I genuinely reckon the West Indies could be could be favourite, or they could be up there again for this 2020 World Cup. That blueprint of just crazy batting from start to finish is, it worked from last time, it could work again. They've certainly got the batsmen to do it. Evan Lewis, Kyron Pollard, Nicholas Puran, amongst others. It's it's going to be interesting to see how they get on. And if there's any format which potentially crazy, in inverted commas, uh, could pay off in, it's, it's 2020, let's be honest. Or actually, no, the 100 of which we'll be hearing so much more this summer, and I can't wait for it, actually. Uh, inspired by Christian Vieri, our tales of Christian Vieri last week, loving uh, loving cricket, the former Italy and Serie A winning footballer. We've been getting in some nice emails about footballers who also like cricket. So do keep those coming in. We read all of your correspondence, and we'll get around to them later in the week when uh, the Rongan... Jester in chief, should we describe him, Max Parry? Uh, he'll have a look through them and uh, and read some out. Uh, that's everything that you're getting today, guys. We promised 20 minutes. It's ended up being about 40, but there's actually been quite a lot to talk about, and hopefully uh, we've not gone on too much. Uh, so we'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Cheers, Beth. Bye bye.